Jesus. Finally, they get to see God face to face. God who has added flesh to his divinity in Jesus Christ. They see him. That's why it's them. Because they have been wanting to see the full glory of God. Second reason why it's them is that they represent the story so far. What is the story? What's the summary of all the Old Testament? It's called the Law and the Prophets. When Jesus says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On this, all of the law and the prophets hang. What does he mean? All of the story so far. And Moses represents the law. He was on the mountain and received the law from God. And Elijah is the quintessential prophet. And so all of the scriptures, all of the story lead to this moment. And they're all leading, not to some experience as Peter sees it, but they're leading to a person. They're leading to Jesus Christ. So Peter misreads the situation, which is understandable because he's terrified, the passage says. This glory overwhelms him and he says, let's make some tabernacles. What does that mean? It means a place of worship like the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Let's let's set up an experience. We can can sell tickets. You know, this is a mountaintop experience. You guys just stay here and then everybody, you don't have to leave. We don't have to leave. People can come here and worship. But he misunderstands because this is not about Moses and Elijah at all. It's about Jesus Christ. And we're told that because God comes and He overshadows the whole experience. And He says, He interrupts Peter's desire for glory forever and He says, it's actually here. This is My beloved Son. Listen to Him. Don't get caught up in what's going on. The the glory that's kind of showering around you. You have Him all the time. You have Jesus Christ. And so then everything fades away. Moses and Elijah and the glory, and they're left only with Jesus Christ. So, implication, this is where glory is found. It's hidden in Him. It's hidden in this person that you've been with. Moses and Elijah have come to pay tribute. God the Father speaks in love. The Holy Spirit as a cloud overshadows, picturing again for us the baptism of Jesus where God says, this is my beloved Son, and the Spirit rests on Him as a dove. And all of it is pointing to this man that you should listen to Jesus Christ. Because glory is hidden in a person. How is that possible? That seems so unrelated to, to my life. How is it possible that the thing that I desire in a moment that is greater than I can imagine and want to experience all the time could be wrapped up in a Jewish man who lived 2,000 years ago? Well, I'd ask you, where else have you looked and how is that going? Have you found that experience of glory all the time? Maybe the less than obvious answer is the correct one. And maybe you could join the ranks of millions, hundreds of millions, billions of people who have been at the end of their rope and they've, they've read the Gospels of Jesus Christ. They've read the Gospel of Mark and they see no one lived like this man. No one taught like him. No one died like him. No one's raised from the dead as he was raised. Maybe... It's hidden in Him. This thing that I've been looking for. Like the centurion, the soldier, who looked on the cross of Jesus after crucifying Him and said, surely this is the Son of God. 
I didn't see it before, but now it's been revealed to me. This is where it is. And so whenever you get that feeling, if I could just have this, if I could just be there, if I could just go there, if I could just have this thing, this job, this amount of income, this child, whatever it may be, you can coach yourself, you can talk to yourself, and maybe you should say, what I'm really longing for is Jesus Christ. Maybe what I want is something more permanent than my desires. It's actually a person. Glory is hidden in one person, Jesus. There's a second place that glory is hidden. Glory is hidden in suffering. Again, this is counterintuitive, not obvious. Of course, suffering is to be avoided, right? Surely glory is different than suffering. But that's not what Jesus says. As He shows them this glimpse of glory, He then moves into the next scene and tells them exactly how He's going to suffer. Verse 9, They were coming down the mountain. He charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had been risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning, what does this rising from the dead mean? They're confused. Why are you talking about being raised from the dead? And then they ask him a question, and then he answers their question, and he responds with a question of his own. And here's, we need to follow this closely. It's kind of easy to get lost, but let me show you what he's saying here. The, the, the apostles, the three, say to him, they ask him this question, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said, Elijah does come first to restore all things. But then he asked them a question, and how is it written to the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Now what's going on here? The disciples are referencing the book of Malachi. There's a, in Malachi 4, verse 5, it says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Elijah comes at the end, they're saying. It's like, you know, they're excited. They're excited. We just saw Elijah. Doesn't that mean that the great and awesome day of the Lord is coming? Doesn't that mean, well, we've already said you're the Christ. You are the Christ. So you are the Christ. And here is Elijah. Put two and two together. The day of the Lord is coming. It's here. And so they're excited. And Jesus says, yes, Elijah does come to restore all things. But then he says this, and how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? What is he saying? He's saying you're selectively reading the prophets. You're only looking at the glorious and awesome day of the Lord. You're not also seeing that there's this whole other line in the prophets that this Son of Man is going to come and suffer. What about the suffering servant of Isaiah? So he's asking them, well, how do you interpret those passages? And then he answers them again and says that I tell you Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written. He's referring here to John the Baptist who is in many other scriptures referenced as the coming of Elijah. Elijah has come, he said. And did the great and awesome day of the Lord appear right away? No, they killed him. He suffered they did to him whatever they pleased. And they're going to do the same to me. They're going to kill me. 
And they're going to do the same to you, he'll reveal later. They're going to kill you for my name's sake. And so you're, going to, you're getting a glimpse of glory right now, but this glory is all bound up in the suffering that's about to come. It's about to be laid out in front of you. It's not glory all the time yet because I haven't suffered and you haven't suffered. This is where glory is hidden. It's the almost unbelievable thing. And yet, isn't it true that more often glory comes by enduring the hard thing rather than experiencing the great thing? We have these high moments where we experience, oh, it's glorious. It was so good. I wish I could get back to that. But then that becomes old very quickly, and we realize that suffering is kind of the modus operandi. It's kind of the thing that we have to keep, keep dealing with. And the, the godliest people that I know, the godliest people that I know, are the ones who have experienced suffering and yet had faith through it. Why? Because they've realized that it wasn't some kind of future achievement or some kind of thing that they would unlock that, that, that is going to be the glorious thing for them. They realize that the glorious thing is learning how to be faithful in this present moment. In the suffering, we assume that glory comes when everything is good. That would be obvious, wouldn't it? But it doesn't work. Glory is hidden in a person, Jesus, a suffering person who brings suffering and helps us to understand glory in the midst of suffering. It's hidden in those two places, thirdly and finally this morning. Glory is hidden in future eternal transformation. There's a hint here, more than a hint really, of our own transformation because Moses and Elijah appear in glory. And as significant as those men were in the story of Scripture, at the end of the day they were just men, weren't they? And yet... The disciples are tempted to worship them. They were transfigured too. Peter is ready to worship. I think this is where C.S. Lewis and the, the Weight of Glory, the book that is very popular and famous, you know, he says this thing about, about ordinary people being transformed. And he says, hey, remember, the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship. dullest person, uninteresting, you could one day be tempted to worship because why? They are transfigured. Glory is hidden in that future transfiguration for ourselves. And then this is what a lot of people criticize Christianity for. They say that it's, you know, Christianity is the opiate of the masses. It's all about the future. It's all about, well, endure suffering now and then later you'll have some great reward. And they're wrong and they're right when they say that. They're wrong because I've just said that you don't have to wait for the future to experience glory. You experience it now in Jesus Christ. You experience it now in this present suffering. So there's opportunities abound for you now to have that moment. But they're also right in that the Scripture teaches this future is better. Our hope is in a transfigured body, a transfigured life. A more glorious future. What does Paul say? This present suffering is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be given to us in the next age. This is the future. 
So it is about dealing with suffering now, and it is about knowing Christ now, but it's also about the future. And this is why Jesus gives them a glimpse of the glory that is coming. If you are in him, you too will be transfigured. You too will be a part of that glorious place. We've been reading these um, stories to our kids from a book called Wise Words. It's a... um, it's a book of children's stories written by a guy named Peter Lightheart. He's a biblical scholar. And um, they're basically these short stories that um, at the end, kind of like Aesop's fables, they have a moral. But the moral is not just whatever Aesop you know, thought of. It was, it's Proverbs. It's a book of Proverbs. And so these stories that he writes, there's a beautiful story that we just read a few weeks ago. And it's called The Bleeding Tree. And in this story, there's this tree. It's a conscious tree. It, it knows it's alive. And um, the tree grows up next to a temple. And he calls it the temple of unearthly beauty. And, and the tree longs to hear, uh, to see the temple every day. When the, when the sun goes down, he's sad. And then he sees the temple again, this temple of unearthly beauty. And there's a song that comes out of the temple. And he listens to the song. This is what he says, a little excerpt from the story. It says, the tree gazed each day at the temple of unearthly beauty and listened to the song that filled the heart with painful joy. He was saddened when night fell, hiding the temple in darkness, and he was delighted when the morning sunlight unveiled the temple anew. He felt lonely in the evening when the song faded to silence and thrilled when it began each day at daybreak and sunset. He dreamed of a world where there would be no night and where the song would never end. He wanted to gaze and listen forever. But the more the tree looked at the temple and the more he listened to the song, the more he knew he would never be content with looking and listening. Even if he could look and listen for all eternity, deep in his heart, he did not want to gaze at the temple. He wanted to become the temple. To surround the hushed space of inner sanctuary where even children spoke in whispers. Deep in his heart, he did not want to listen to the song. He wanted to become the song. To spread himself over the valley like a blanket of music softer than silence. In the story, the temple then burns down. And the tree is devastated. And then one day, some men come and surround him with an axe. And they start to chop him down, and the tree feels the pain, and he doesn't understand the pain. And then he's finally knocked over and dies and becomes unconscious. Then some other time later, he wakes again to this new consciousness. And he realizes that the wood from his tree has now become the new temple. And he looks down from a pillar where he is as part of the the temple. And he sees that now there's wooden instruments that play the song made from his wood. His desires have been met. He's become the temple. He's been united with the temple. He has been united with the song. He's been transfigured. And so the tree sees that glory is one place, in one place. It's in this temple of unearthly beauty. It's one place of glory. And then, as he suffers, he gets chopped down and he doesn't understand it. 
that also leads to glory. And then in the end, because he has been united with the temple, he is transfigured. He is brought into a place of glory. And so the reminder for us, of course, is this. There is one place of glory. It's found in Jesus Christ. Maybe not the most obvious thing you've ever thought of, but nonetheless true. It's in this person. It's God-man. It's in one place. In fact, He is the temple. He is the temple who was destroyed and in three days was rebuilt. And now, if you are united with Him, Scripture says, if you become one with Him, you too are transfigured. This is the way that Romans 6 says it. For we have been united with Him in a death like His. We shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So if we share in His death, then we share in His transformation. And then this glory all the time. The thing that we never want to lose. The thing that we can imagine, but have never yet experienced, is found with Him forever. Let's pray.